Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. Hey, before we get started with today's show, I just want to draw your attention to new merchandise. Funkin' Stuff and Truth and Rhythm designs are in, and they look pretty darn cool. So show your support, help support the program, and show off some stylish merchandise and apparel. Only at the Funkin' Stuff store. And then Death or Devotion, uh, well, then you had one between um, Totem. Um, that one I thought also a great record, maybe a little more like Tower of Power-y. Like yeah, we were leaning on the horns a little bit more on that one. And that's the first one that Lyle was with us on. And um, Lyle's a great writer too. He wrote all the lyrics to all the songs. Well, this one doesn't have lyrics, I don't think, but Rip and Herb is like really a fierce instrumental. Oh yeah, that's one of my songs. And it's called Rip and Herb because it's sort of like the double entendre where I... It sounds like a Herbie Hancock song, so I'm ripping off Herbie, but it's also like ripping herbs, like, you know, smoking some weed. <laughs> um, Creedon, it's really cool. Um, that one, to me, I hear some P-Funk influence, I think, in that one. For sure. Garrett yeah. wrote that song. See, that's what's so cool about my band is everybody writes and everybody's got some good songs, you know. Um, somebody will come in with the idea and then, you know, we'll put our own little panache on it or whatever but somebody comes in with a pretty well thought out idea and uh, i'm lucky i'm in a band with five guys who can write how long does it typically take in studio to, to get it where you want it you know well we'll try to practice the songs together before you know and make sure that the form of the song is correct you know and feels good before we go in and record it um we have done songs like in the studio just to like see how that works but we kind of like to play the songs live and then you can figure out the form of the song on like reactions, you know, and how it feels. Cloak and Dagger. Love that one. Real horn heavy pounding kind of funk track. Thanks. That's another one of my songs. I, I thought it sounded like a James Bond movie or something. So that's why I called it Cloak and Dagger. <laughs> and you mentioned reggae. There's an actual straight reggae, straight up reggae song on that album. It's reggae, but it's in three, so it's weird. It's like a it's like a reggae waltz. Yeah. <laughs> Solar plexus, also cool. 
Yeah. And then um, Kraus helped produce that one. Or, yeah, he yeah. did. Yeah, he has a lot of good ideas, you know, and he actually, I think, even played guitar on uh, one of the songs and he wrote two of the songs. So is that just something, you know, that blossomed out of a, a festival you guys did or something? And well, we've known Kraus a long time, you know, just running in the same circles. And uh, we like his aesthetic, like the way his music sounds. And, uh, you know, I think he has good ideas. And so we trusted him to produce our record. I feel like during the making of that record, I learned a lot about production. And that's why I started just in within the band, started producing the stuff instead of having an out outside producer but we liked working with Kraz a lot he's a cool guy and then death or devotion was the latest one before the one you were just talking about um another great record and um i think this is the one actually that has a touch of the vocoder uh yeah. happening yeah i've got talk box on there yeah yeah that must have been a kick to finally you know do something with that yeah absolutely you know, it's sort of my signature, I guess. You know, I think when people think of me, they think of Talkbox and they think of Clavinet. Yeah, was it uh, What You Gonna Bring? Is that the one? I think there's a little bit of Talkbox in that one. Uh, I sort of just sneak it in there. It's it's rarely like uh, the feature. Yeah. Just because I'm, I'm not trying to make it like Juno What, like my other project. Speed of Light. The uh, riff to that reminds me of Abracadabra. Oh, that the Steve Miller song? <laughs> yeah, you're right. It does have a similar kind of vibe. That's another one of Ryan Jalbert, our guitar player's songs. <laughs> Just, I have, I mean, I've marked so many. Knee Bone. Knee Bone is a really cool, you know, slower funk instrumental. Yeah, and that one's in seven. Trying to be funky in seven's not easy. <laughs> Do you ever like say, hey, wait a minute, why are we making it this hard on ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's what it was. We're like, let's see if we can make Seven Funky. That's another Garrett song. And uh, Garrett succeeded because it's still funky, even though it's a Seven. Usually Seven's not for the dancers. <laughs> so after you guys go in there and do your thing, you know, what defines a successful record for the band? Um. I mean, I think it's a success if, you know, if we can get just get enough people to listen to it, you know, you can't make money selling records these days, you know, it's been a long time since you could do that. So we just want to get the exposure, you know, as long as like enough people listen to it on Spotify. I think that's a success for us. You know, I think uh, because you don't make money selling product like that anymore, that your album is more just like a commercial for your live shows in 2021, you know. So uh, we're hoping, you know, more people just come out to our shows. Hopefully we get to, you know, get back to as many shows as we were doing because we definitely cut back. And, you know, now the pandemic's getting all weird again. I, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, I'm sick of it. I got to tell you. Oof, everybody is. <laughs> it's not good for anyone. No. But, you, you know, or something. <laughs> exactly. My hope is that, you know, the mus musicians for the most part, made the most of the downtime and that we're going to hear some great innovative creative music coming out of it you know for sure the thing i'm most excited about in the pop world is you know anderson pack and bruno mars came out with some stuff and both those songs i like 
Yeah, I can't. I'm having a. Let's try to remember the the door open or something, and then they just came out with another song last week, and they're both very retroy, and I like it because, you know, I feel like uh, younger people these days could really benefit from hearing music that's heavily exposed by that early '70s soul music stuff. They don't know that's what it is, but they need to learn that they like that so that when they hear it, the original stuff, they'll like that as well. And it won't sound like their dad or granddad's music. <laughs> right. Yeah. Take ownership of it. And I mean, uh, I have a 17 year old daughter and a 14 year old daughter. And it's like, you know, they listen to pop music and none of the music that I play really sounds like pop music these days. Uh, maybe some of that, some of the stuff these days is kind of eighties ish. But not really like 80s funk stuff, except for like that Bruno Mars song, that Uptown Funk song that came out. I was really hoping since that blew up so much that more people would just try to do straight funk songs. Didn't really happen, but. That didn't happen that way, but I do think that it's contributed to a resurgence in general of the music, even if it's not totally mainstream, you know, that there's more young people that are, are aware of it and maybe trying to play it and going back and listening to some of it. And there's more groups, you know, maybe they're not hitting super big time, but they're doing it. Right. Know? Well, I think when you, when you decide you want to play funk music, you've already decided like, you know, I'm doing this cause I love it. It's just like being a jazz musician. Like there's no, you know, you're not gonna make a million bucks playing jazz saxophone or whatever, you know, you're doing it because you, you're obsessed by it. You have to do it. So that's the only reason me and the Motet guys or the dumpster funk guys or the lettuce guys, you know, we're not, none of us are doing it for accolades or for money or fame. We're just doing, cause that's what we do, you know? And uh, I remember when, when I first met Ivan Neville, I guess it was maybe like 2007. He was explaining to me, he was, he was complaining cause he's like, yo, there should be a funk category at the Grammys. I can't believe there's not, this is, you know, this is BS, you know, and that's why they came out with that song, you know, funk's not a dirty word or something like that, or funk's a four letter word or something like that. I forget what it's called, but that's what their whole point is. Like, you know, we're out here doing it. We're out here and like, y'all aren't seeing it. And this is killing, you know, and I just saw Dumpster Funk three weeks ago. It's incredible. They're always incredible. I can't even believe how great they sounded. They're, those guys are like my heroes. <laughs> They're awesome. Yeah. And I've, I've really, uh, I've, I'm lucky because those they've always been so cool to me and to my bandmates and they don't have to, you know, and uh, I've always thought they were so cool for that. So when you're trying to come up with a funky riff on the clav or, you know, something like that, uh, what do you use as inspiration? Well, usually when I write a song, I start with just like a, like a boom pop on like a, like a drum machine, just something real generic, Nothing really dividing it up except for boom, pop, boom, pop. I just decide on a tempo. And then I write a bass line first. Because uh, I think funk music is like reggae music in that the bass line can really carry the song. You know, you don't have almost every one of your favorite funk songs has a badass bass line. You know, you can't just have like a, overly simple baseline and, and have it be real funky. So I start with the baseline. And then I write everything else sort of around that. 
usually adding clavinet after bass. Uh-huh. And what about when you're soloing on stage? You know, what, what goes through your head and, you know, typically, you know, what's your, you know, how do you plot out that, that solo? Well, that's the thing. I try to be in the moment. I don't, I don't like plan anything. Instead, I, in my mind, think about my favorite singers. You know, I think about Marvin Gaye, Aretha Franklin, you know, uh, Al Green or whoever, whoever I'm thinking of at that moment, I think, what would they sing? And then I play what I think they would sing, you know? Uh, and if you can, I like to do it that way because then if you can play something vocal or lyrical sounding, people can relate to it more than if I was trying to like play a John Coltrane saxophone lick. I think, I think those are amazing too, but I think it's harder for people to relate to you when you're doing that. So when I'm soloing live, I just think of, you know, licks that people would sing. And I just try to talk to the audience musically like that. I try to start somewhere and then take it somewhere, you know, energy wise as well. But if you play too many notes, you're going to lose everybody. And at that point, it's like, what are you even playing for? Except for to hear yourself. <laughs> so you talked about playing in rock, you know, years ago. So, you know, how does your approach on a solo differ, you know, if you were playing rock versus the funk? Well, coming from a guitar background too, I think I sort of play, especially synth solos, um, because you have the bendy bar, you know, and everything. And I can bend just like a guitar player. I go at a solo like a guitar player would, and I do guitar player licks. You know, if I think, cause I can, sometimes when I'm thinking, like, I don't, I guess I don't always think about vocalists when I'm singing. Sometimes I do think about guitar players and I try to play guitar licks on the synth. And um, again, because you can bend on there and I can use a wah pedal, I can get a lot of guitar-like tones. And I try to like, uh, you know, think about all my favorite guitar players, Cornell Dupree or whoever. And I try to play those licks. You're talking about sort of merging of guitar and keyboard. I, I think of Ernie Isley, you know, those recordings oh, in like yeah. the early 70s. I mean, some of those solos he did, I had to like do double takes. Is that a keyboard or the guitar? Uh, oh, yeah. Amazing tone He's that got he got. the fuzz on there and like a flanger. You know that that's Ernie playing drums on most of those songs too, like Footsteps in the Dark and all that stuff. That's Ernie on drums. He's um, unbelievable. He's been on the show. I was blessed to have him on the show. And I, you know, I found out, I don't know if I knew before then, but he also played bass on like, it's your thing. And Oh yeah. Well, he's a genius, man. Genius. I love the guy. One of my favorite players. Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned it, you know, you, you touched on it there. I feel like not only is there this sort of wave of funk bands that we have now, especially on like the, you know, festival circuit, but there seems to be this sort of camaraderie or brotherhood or kinship, you know, among all the groups. And I think that that's really fantastic. Um, you know, can you speak to that at all? Do you feel that? Well, I think it is again, because like I said, if you're doing the funk thing, it's because you love it. You've, you already know you're not going to have a number one record. Chances are, you know what I mean? Bruno Mars came out with a funk song because he already had eight or nine number one hits before that one. So he, at that point, he could do whatever he wants, you know. I think the reason people like, again, like Ivan Neville and Tony Hall and those dubstep funk guys are so cool to people like us Motet guys is because we're all in it together and we're all helping each other. 
you know, spreading the word of funk music is helping out each other. You know, I think that if we all were making a whole lot of money and it was the hot shit that maybe there'd be a little more rivalry going on, I think just naturally by because people are people. <laughs> I think the fact that, you know, we're all on the same circuit, we all got to live with each other. We're all going to be as cool as we can to each other, I think. But well, plus, I, 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 I think there's some mutual respect going on. And like, I know at least with the Motet guys, we look up to those lettuce guys and the dumpster funk guys like crazy. We all think they, they murder it and that they're doing it for the right reasons as well. So there's so much respect going on for those guys. I was going to say, uh, Joey, friendly competition too. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think any of those guys are going to be happy if like we're not doing well. <laughs> what might be a couple of the band of your uh, favorite tracks within the band's repertoire that's the most fun to play yeah well i really like the song rip and herb just because i get to do my herbie licks you know <laughs> and uh i really like let's see as far as cover songs goes we just came out with that and the beat goes on by the whispers and we had nigel hall singing it and uh, that song is a lot of fun to play. It has some great clavinet on it. Um, and uh, it's a good thing we have two keyboard players because there's so much synthesizer stuff going on. It takes both of us. That's a fun one to play. I really like to play that song, Nemesis. We do this whole sort of James Brown thing in the middle of it, which is super fun. Um, and I really like the song, Death of Devotion, which I wrote because I like uh, doing some real slow funk stuff you know a lot of a lot of uh, people who think they're doing funk stuff these days it's, i don't think it's as funky because it's a little too fast i think there's sort of a a threshold of how fast you can be and have it be funk music yes probably around 130 something beats because <laughs> then it gets into house territory after that yeah there's a lot of debate over you know funky versus funk you know, right. a lot of things can be funky to different extents versus right. really being funk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the difference between, between being jazzy or being jazz. <laughs> I mean, because even, you know, TV jingles started getting a little bit funky, you know, once the 90s came and, yeah, uh, you know, so. Once hip hop became you know, worldwide, you know, people, all the, you know, most of those beats is the fuck stuff that you and I like to listen to, you know? So that's why it's changed like that. I, I wonder if there ever will be, you know, just a funk, you know, movement ever again, because now there's so many subgenres, it just gets swallowed up by the whole thing, you know? I'll never say never, but you know, also, where are you comparing it to? I mean, I don't think there'll ever be another P-Funk again. Right. You know. I just think they'll call it dance music now or something. I don't know. So have you had much of a chance to sit in with other bands and other people or? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, you know, those bands Lettuce and Dumpster Funk, I usually sit in or if I'm around, if they're playing. Um, as far as like, you know, like my, 
heroes bands or whatever i haven't sat in with a whole bunch of people i have had the pleasure of you know opening for like ohio players tower power p-funk all that kind of stuff maceo parker but i haven't really sat in with any of those guys most of the bands i've sat in with are sort of like again on the same circuit as us so as the motet you opened for those bands you mentioned yeah or my other band juno what did you get a chance to meet uh, you know, Maceo or any of the how players guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. I played with Maceo maybe four or five different times and he was always really cool. He's had the same keyboard player for like 30 years too. This organist guy. Yeah. I, I, and he's, he's the one that sort of influenced soul live to, to go with the suits look is what I had. Found really? Out. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> he's funny. Cause he's, he's real funky, but he's, he's kind of stiff up there. He kind of doesn't move. <laughs> i just his phrasing it can't be beat in front oh of yeah me. i mean he's great of, and that's what i was trying to get to also with your style when you solo you know is about you know weaving in and around the funk beat you know in in what you execute yeah you know it's what's part about what what makes funk is kind of hard to explain but it not being perfectly on the beat you have to sort of be around the beat just a little bit for it to be funky do you know what i mean if everything was just quantized or whatever that's never funky so there's some weird thing where you learn how to get just in the right spot you know a little bit late here a little bit you know more rushing here you learn these little things that make up what's funky it's kind of hard to explain <laughs> it is but man yeah there's no feeling that you just like it you know you yeah, can feel it intangible is that the word <laughs> that's a good word yeah i like to ask uh, guest joey to pick their five desert island albums you know so uh none can be you know the motet um other groups so what might be your your top five let's see definitely uh herbie hancock thrust I think is my favorite of his records. I think uh, probably the Aura Will Prevail by George Duke. I think Here My Dear by Marvin Gaye. I think Donny Hathaway Live. And if I had to have one more, I guess it would probably be a Stevie record. And I'd probably go with uh, Songs in the Key of Life just because it's a double record and I'd get more songs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I often have that debate with people. I usually go with inner visions, but then, yeah, with songs, you get all that more music. Yeah. And I saw Stevie play it all live at Red Rocks. Oh, wow. So I think that's the other reason. Just a few years ago. Yeah, that must have been phenomenal. I was the whole uh, record. disappointed he didn't come do that uh, in Charlotte. You know, I grew up in Los Angeles, so I got to go to tons of shows for so many years and I got very spoiled. Uh, but since I've been out here in Charlotte since 06, you know, it's fewer and far between for sure. So you go to the Hollywood Bowl? Oh, everywhere. Nice. Greek, Hollywood Bowl, Palace, um, Palladium, uh, House awesome. of Blues, uh, on and on and on and on. Yeah, so, so many unforgettable shows in Los Angeles. Um, but I did get to see Stevie here once, you know, but he didn't do that whole album, but still just unbelievable. And I saw him once uh, in 1980 in the LA Forum, which is an wow. incredible show. That's in his prime. Yeah. 
wow jealous talk, talk, talk about charisma wow oh yeah oh yeah yeah he's a genius yeah and uh i don't know if you've seen that movie uh, summer of soul if you've seen that yet i haven't seen it yet oh, i so know he amazing. does cool clavinet stuff on there maybe he does like some drum solo or something he does both yeah and the clavinet thing i don't think i've ever seen him you know just jamming away on it like that before and he's only 19 in the movie he he did a little more jamming on it in the earlier days if you see too in that clip i saw uh i haven't seen the whole movie but i saw the clavinet clip he's playing a, instead of like a d6 like this one he's playing i think it's called a c1 and it's orange and white it's like one of their first ones before they had the e7 and the d6 it's not quite as uh it doesn't have as many controls and stuff but yeah he's a genius come on at one point in that solo it was years before but i could hear the beginning of um i think you haven't done nothing like that little oh yeah effect he does yes that's in that solo if you listen for it yeah um so what are you most proud of accomplishing this for would you say what am i most proud of in the producing musically speaking i guess i guess producing the the last record and the in this new record that's going to come out, I think that's the stuff I'm the most proud of because I just sort of had uh, the most control over how it turned out. And when you say you're a producer, it's kind of an ambiguous term, you know, because different producers do different things. Some guys might just check in like for 15 minutes during one session and then they say they produce the record, you know what I mean? While other guys, every single thing has to pass through their desk you know before it gets accepted or whatever and uh, we do it more like a democracy in the motet but i think uh when it comes to the albums they sort of let me have the final say but i'm not going to do anything if everybody somebody else hates it i'm not going to keep it in there you know but uh i think that the fact that those guys trust me uh i guess that's what makes me the most proud about producing these last two records how do you sort of decide you know in a given track you know which instrument maybe is gonna you know be prominent in the um you know the bridge or the middle section or what have you we usually figure that out collectively together rehearsing the songs um like i said we we usually rehearse and play songs out live before we record them so we know what the best form is going to be and like like what you said we figure out what instruments are going to be you know focused on and what sounds and tones we use but we we generally keep within you know old vintage instruments we usually don't play any instruments that are newer than like 1980 something so we try to take those old tones and the old vibe and mix it with modern production and do you guys generally try to play stuff straight through or do you do a lot of pro tools or that kind of stuff i mean uh we play the song down usually i mean uh usually don't do the vocals and the horns and everything at the same time but as a rhythm section drums bass and the keyboards and guitar we generally record all that at the same time and then uh add layers of stuff after that and only because to record everything at once is logistically more complicated mm. because of the separation and everything if someone asked you, Joey, and I am asking, to uh, sort of uh, define the motet sound, 
Uh, what makes it distinctive? How would you describe it? I'd say that uh, we're like a half instrumental, half vocal band that's very influenced by 70s and early 80s funk music and world beat music. That's a lot of words. So I don't know, how would I say that more succinctly? <laughs> uh, I don't know, I guess I would just say that we're a funk band. I think that's what we, but that confuses people. Like if I'm just at the airport and they're like, oh, you're a musician, what do you play? I say funk music and then they give me this blank look. So then I have to explain what funk music is to strangers. <laughs> but I guess that's what I would call us as a funk band. I've been there so many times explaining <laughs> funk to people. It gets so tiresome, you know. They'll be like, yeah. oh, I like funk too. I, I love, uh, you know, like Madonna or something or something. Like <laughs> You're like, mm, that's not quite there. I mean, you know, uh, what's his name? Neil Rogers or whatever did do is her first record. And it's pretty funky. <laughs> did you know that the dude from chic yeah it's madonna record um yeah with uh, and, uh also reggie andrews star, lucky star and all that stuff that's like if you listen to the guitar you can tell yeah well that album i didn't mind that was actually not bad <laughs> yeah yeah a holiday you know and that kind of stuff yeah is a little bit funky absolutely what's what's I, we may have sort of covered it, but in a nutshell, what's so special about funk to you? What is it? How does it fulfill you? Well, for me personally, I think it's because I was so influenced, like I said, at an early age, like from the get go, I was hearing all that music. Um, so I just, from a real fundamental space, I, I, I relate to it. But to me, I think it's the like, What's the word levity of funk music is that is that where like things aren't taken real serious like you know there there are some songs like you know uh what's going on and stuff like that that are funky that are are serious but most funk songs are like hey don't worry about that other stuff let's have a good time tonight and i think i relate to that and i think that when i go around traveling and playing music for people i'm basically doing that i'm throwing a party for people and so I guess that's what I like the most about funk music is it's almost always a positive vibe. You know, when you're doing like acoustic music or whatever, you never know. It could be a sad song, but whatever. There's probably not going to be a sad song at the Dumpster Funk show. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're going to funk you to death, you know. I guess that's what I like about it is the sort of it's not too heavy. I like that kind of stuff, too. It's just not my favorite thing. Yeah, of course, those, some of those, like you said, some of those Stevie Wonder songs had some, like one of my very favorites, Living for the City. Um, oh, yeah. You know. And Black Man, very poignant song. You know, there's there's people who can do it. But being a white guy, <laughs> you know, like playing funk music, I don't know. I feel like I got to keep it light. I'm not trying to like, I don't know, say anything too serious. I don't know. <laughs> That's just me personally. Yeah, I feel no, like I, I wouldn't do a good job doing it. That's all. It, and and speaking of that, I mean, it's very interesting to me, you know, how it seems like there's more, you know, whites kind of carrying funk on right now, you know, especially well, that's, what happened to reggae, that's what happened to jazz and blues. Yeah, 
blues. Yeah, you go to a blues festival, there's mostly white guys playing. And I think uh, I think the only reason that is, is that probably more white folks grow up with the their parents can buy them instruments or whatever. You know what I mean? I think that's all it is. I think a lot of like uh, um, people could play music if they wanted to, but they would just never were exposed to having the opportunity or whatever, having instruments and lessons and all that kind of stuff. It struck me as very odd when I experienced, you know, I went to P-Funk shows and a lot of funk shows in the, in the late seventies when I was a teenager. And um, it would be, you know, often I was the only white person there. And, uh, you know, then come the late 80s into the 90s, you know, those shows, especially like uh, George Clinton, were like mostly white, like college age. And it had changed so much in terms of the demographics. It was just oh, fascinating. It's still like that with hip hop music and stuff, too. You go to a Drake concert and it's mostly white folks, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and that's when it comes to like, I've definitely had people ask me if I they think I'm like appropriating kind of because I'm a white guy playing funk music, which, you know, let's, let's admit it like, you know, it wasn't like white folks who invented funk music, you know, it was definitely like an African-American thing. But I don't think uh, that I do. It's not like I'm up there with some like accent or like, I, I'm trying to like, I don't know. I just feel like I'm just doing my thing without appropriating you know i just tend to love music that's a certain kind of music that generally is made by a certain kind of person you know i don't feel like i'm trying to be black or anything you know <laughs> ultimately i mean music has no color i mean if you can do it you feel it you can execute it it's real you know that's what i think too and that's why i get bummed out when people talk about certain artists you know some guys are kind of like appropriating but like even like people like justin timberlake get you know, people shit on them and it's like, I don't get it. I don't think he's acting black or whatever. He just happens to like music that kind of sounds like Michael Jackson or whatever, like, and he dances well. So like every time like a white guy can dance well, it doesn't mean that he's trying to be something he's not, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it can be a slippery slope, but- um... It can be, but I've definitely never had like, you know, a black musician friend come up to me and be like, Hey, you need to tone it down. Like <laughs> I stay in my lane, man. You know? Yeah, no, you do it well. So uh, appreciate all that you have done, you know, for ears like mine, it's uh, you know, such a welcome sound and the band is so, so welcome in today's musical landscape um, and just keep doing it, you know, and I wish you much continued success and, and hope the new record does well for you too. Thanks, man. And next time you're on Spotify, check out my other band, Juno What. We've got a couple of records up there. You'll love it if you like Zap and Roger. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I will check that out. And uh, how can everyone keep in touch with, uh, you know, what you have going on aside from Spotify? Um, I have a Facebook page, Joey Porter. Uh, it's like an artist page. And I have a band camp, joeyporter.bandcamp or whatever it is. And I do uh, instrumental stuff because I still play drums. I play bass, I play guitar, and I do some solo stuff where I'm playing all the instruments. You can check it out there on Bandcamp. And who's your all-time dream to, uh, to, to play with at some point? Uh, Herbie Hancock or somebody I else? think it would be Herbie, but I would probably pick somebody else that's not a keyboard player, you know? 
I don't know, like my biggest, uh, my, my biggest fantasy was to play with Bernard Purdy and then I got to play with him. So I got to fulfill that. <laughs> oh, wow. Like maybe it would be like Clyde Stubblefield or somebody like that. He's still alive, isn't he? No, no. Ah, is j still alive? No, they're both gone. Dang it. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe yeah, Bootsy? Oh, yeah, there you go. Uh, before I let you go, I did want to ask you, and I just remembered, uh, what would you say was your most unforgettable live performance, you know, or or one or two, you know, whether it was because the, the crowd was just unbelievable or maybe your your gear didn't show up or whatever it was. You know, what's one or two that just really stand out in your mind? Um, that's a good question. Well, my most memorable gigs are almost always the Red Rocks gigs that we get to do every year. We're lucky and fortunate enough to be able to headline Red Rocks every year. And that's always the best. Uh, but besides that, I'm trying to think of like a wacky story. I mean, we've definitely showed up and the, the weather's been inclement and our, our gear gets soaking wet. That kind of thing happens all the time. We've had people jump up on stage and do crazy things. <laughs> but I guess uh, to give you a generic answer, my favorite gig every year is Red Rocks. And it's because we are in front of our fans and Red Rocks is positioned in such a way where unlike any other place, when you're on stage, you're not looking down at the audience. Instead, the first row is right even with you and it goes up from there. So it's like you're immersed in the people instead of looking down at them. That's why that's my favorite gig every year is Red Rocks. And for that reason, you just feel like you're in the crowd. They're all looking down at you. It's really amazing. I've been to Denver and Colorado many times, but I've never gotten to see a show there. It seems like whenever I go there, there's just no one playing at that particular time, you know, but right. it's on my bucket list for sure. I got to see Earth, Wind & Fire with the Colorado Symphony there. You know, I've seen some really cool shows there. I recommend coming out. Try to maybe plan a show around, a, I mean, plan a visit out here around a show that you see is coming up. Yeah, I got to get out there for sure. All right. Hey, Joey, it's been a blast. Thank you so much for doing this. Hey, well, thanks for having me. It's been really fun. Great to meet you, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll keep in touch. Cool. Absolutely. All right. Take good care. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkandstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net 
I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Qualfine saying, keep on keep vibing, on vibing to the rhythm of the one.